At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yep, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now, but I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Cyber Law and Business Report. Please be seated. This is Bennett Kelly, your host, broadcasting live from sunny and warm um, Santa Monica, California, here in the heart of Silicon Beach. Uh, My sympathies for all of you enduring the ice storm in the southeast and soon to be northeast. Um, We have a great show for you today. We're going to be talking about the recent D.C. Circuit decision and the net neutrality um, case in which um, they heard the appeal of Verizon to the FCC's open internet order and the DC Circuit overturned it. And so now the question remains, what will happen to net neutrality? Is it dead or is it not? And um, and so we're really excited to have with us Tim Carr from, the, um, from Free Press, who's one of the leading advocates in the fight for net neutrality. And um, and at one point, they were one of the appellants in the case. And um, Tim, are you with us? Yes, I am. Thanks for having me. I want to thank you for joining us. And um, so let's kind of jump in, really. Um, The ruling on January 14th that came down from the D.C. Circuit, it has had a lot of people spinning what what exactly it means. And, And... it is not a decision on the merits of net neutrality, correct? That's right. Um, so it was really just a decision on whether or not um, Chairman Jenikowski and the, the FCC at that time, when they adopted the open Internet orders that kind of laid out the framework for net neutrality, um, did so in, the, in a way that was consistent with their statutory authority. Right. The Verizon had brought the FCC to court to challenge uh, 2010 open internet order that then chairman Julius Janikowski had constructed under under what's called a title 1 
authority. A Title I is a title under the Communications Act of 1996. And, and uh, Janikowski thought that he could structure the authority under Title I uh, that would allow the FCC to uh, protect the open Internet, to prevent Internet service providers like Verizon from discriminating against content, blocking content, favoring some content over others. And uh, the court decided on January 14th that that legal structure, that legal uh, case for FCC authority uh, wasn't substantial enough and that the, the FCC, while it did have the, the right to sort of assert its authority in this matter, had chosen the wrong path. So let's go back to you. And my apologies to those in the Southeast who are already enduring the bitter cold. Let's go back to the cold and dark um, 2002, the early Bush years. <laughs> and uh, um, that's when he, um, Chairman Powell, you know, Colin Powell's son, um, made a decision to reclassify broadband services. Is, is that right? Yes, he did. This was this was the Bush era uh, FCC. Uh, Chairman uh, Michael Powell, who um, now serves as the top lobbyist for uh, cable and telecom in Washington, the, uh, the NCTA, the National Cable and Telecom Association. At that time, uh, he decided to reclassify broadband access services, uh, take them from a Title II authority, which is more of a, a, a common carriage authority, to a Title I authority. And uh, that 2002 decision resulted in its own uh, number of court challenges, and there was one that went all the way to the, to the Supreme Court in 2005, where the Supreme Court, again, decided on, not, not on the merits of uh, protecting the open internet, but decided that, indeed, the FCC does have the power to determine what category uh, its authority over broadband services Exists and, 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 and then uh, you know again Michael Powell cho chose uh, Title One and that 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 set up the legal dilemma that um, Chairman Jenikowski tried to resolve in 2010. And you know and just so the importance of the distinctions between the title is, is really um, if in Title Two authority. That means you have the authority to treat someone like a common carrier. And yes, it's a, it's, it's, it's a classification called a telecommunications service. And I think people can understand the idea of common carriage by, you know, their use of telephones. If you pick up a telephone and you want to dial and order a pizza from the mom-and-pop pizza shop that's down the corner, your telephone service can't say, oh, well, we have a deal with Domino's we're going to redirect your call to Domino's instead or give Domino's special access to our customers. And they, they have to act as a common carrier, that is a, a neutral conduit to only provide the connection and connect the two endpoints and not um, in any way uh, manipulate the content that, that, that travels across their, their pipes. And this is a concept that goes back to the early days of our communication systems and you know from the Pacific Telegraph Act of 1860 yeah and, and you know it's, it's 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 dealt with uh, rail railway transportation ferry transportation you know a fair uh, someone who provides ferry a ferry crossing cannot restrict you know a certain type of you know uh, produce a certain produce company from getting across the river 
and say that they're going to favor, you know, uh, another produce company. So right. there's a long history of common carriage, and it's actually, you know, there's an effort to kind of say this is outdated. It doesn't no longer applies in the network age. But in fact, common carriage itself is a principle that uh, you know you can date dates all the way back to to our founding fathers and the ideas behind free speech. Um, when the founding fathers, you know, uh, wrote up the First Amendment, that that's not where they they stopped. They also provided for a U.S. Postal Service to be a common carrier in a way that allows people to distribute their ideas. The actual carrier or the conduit discriminating uh, in favor of one idea over another. So, um, so you have the decision in 2002, and then you jump forward a, a few years. Um, still near the end of the Bush administration, and Comcast gets caught throttling its, its users without disclosing it. And FCC Chairman Martin has somewhat of a conversion on net neutrality and decides to enforce the, um, the, the principles of net neutrality that um, Chairman Powell had established. Yeah, that's right. And all, all of these were done, uh, all of this was done under under the Title I authority, the, the Information Service Authority. They, they, they thought that they could structure an argument to prevent violations of net neutrality under Title I. And, that, and so there was, uh, Chairman Martin then sanctioned Comcast. Comcast had been, had been blocking or degrading file sharing connections, I mean, most notably BitTorrent. Um, they had been blocking, and there were a number of tests run by engineers and Associated Press and organizations like EFF that, that showed that that was happening. And, and the FCC sanctioned Comcast and said that they had to stop doing that, um, but the, uh, Comcast challenged the FCC authority in that instance, and the courts um, also ruled that the FCC lacked the proper authority. Again, not ruling on the merits of, whether, on, of net neutrality, but, but on the legal argument as to, as to where their authority to act as a, a uh, to protect um, internet users exist as it stand under Title I or Title II. So when when Chairman Janikowski then that's why he had to issue the net neutrality order was because the um, DC Circuit had invalidated and you know granted Comcast appeal and, and sided with them and so they had to go back to the drawing board. So in some ways you know that was their first mulligan so to speak. Yeah, and they got to do over, and they got to um, do it in mindful of what the FCC, excuse me, what the DC Circuit had said. Um, but they tried to thread the needle, apparently. Uh, yes, and this is this is where the political optics come into play. Um, uh, Washington DC, and especially the Federal Communications Commission, is really captive to. To conventional wisdom and certain conventional wisdom in Washington on telecommunications policy is unfortunately dictated by telecommunications companies. They spend record amounts of money on lobbyists and campaign contributions to set the terms of the debate. And the thinking in Washington under Martin and under Janikowski and and we're, we're not certain whether the new chairman, Tom Wheeler, is thinking this way, but the, the thinking is that, is that reclassifying, that taking Internet access services out of Title I, reversing the decision that Michael Powell made in 2002 and putting it back 
under Title II, they, they think that that is a nuclear option. They, right. They've been led to believe that it will be a political catastrophe as the full weight of the telecom industry comes down on you. And, and the telecom industry has a lot of influence in, in Congress as well, so they would, uh, in theory, be able to gin up a lot of members of Congress to oppose that action. I'm curious about that conclusion. You know, I, I think you, you're correct in how, in how it's perceived, but I'm curious in, in how they reached that perception because it wasn't like the cable industry was grant was coming to them with open arms over the open internet order anyway. In fact, you know they just barely got through Congress when both you know the House and Senate voted to over, try to override the open internet order. Um, so it wasn't like they were getting a lot of love there to begin with, and it was clearly they had pretty fierce opposition. So what what was the incremental difference in terms of heat they would take? Well, uh, you know, it's uh, it's hard for me to understand that, but there there is inside Washington this kind of sucking sound that I that I call conventional wisdom, and it, and, it, and it seems to suck everyone in. Uh, to thinking that you can't go there, and, and obviously there's a lot of money tied up in campaign contributions and, and and lobbying efforts. But I mean, if you look at the court decision, if you look at the 2005 Brand X Supreme Court decision, you look at if you look at this recent court decision, it's very clear the legal argument for reclassifying, for putting broadband access under Title II as a common carrier is very clear. It's granted under the Telecommunications Act. So. You know, for example, had Janikowski decided to structure his open Internet order under Title II, it's very likely, it's more than likely. In fact, I'm very confident that, that this recent, that the FCC would have won this recent court decision. Um, the, the, you know, going forward, putting it under Title II gives a clear authority to protect free speech on, on the Internet. They, I think everybody agrees that the legal case is clear. It's the political arena in which this argument gets kind of murky. And one of the challenges that we face is an advocacy organization. We, we engage the public in these often very warm um, telecommunications policies and issues, and we try to show and demonstrate to Washington that there is, there is a, a lot of support outside of the Beltway for net neutrality and for the FCC asserting its authority to protect users. I mean, just uh, two weeks ago, we delivered more than a million letters to the FCC calling on the chairman to reclassify. So there's this weird dynamic of, of like apparent and strong public support for taking this action versus a very reluctant, a lot of reluctance inside Washington, D.C. to do so. And that's, that's the interesting thing. And so, um, so coming out of the decision, you, you do have, as you said, um, a clear path to go. And it seems Chairman Wheeler says he, he wants to think about it. And I guess the, the clock is ticking, obviously, one, on whether or not to appeal, but this clock is also ticking on developments in the marketplace. It seems that Verizon and AT&T want to quickly move towards a post-net neutrality world in which they're in, engaged in what, what some are referring to a dual market pricing. Can you explain what that is? Sure, I and mean, I think it's important to point out that that in the wake of the recent decision, a lot of the ISPs, including Verizon, have said 
that they uh, they fully intend to protect the open internet. It's a sort of you know don't regulate us, just trust us. We're not going to do this. Um, but if you look at the actual oral arguments that Verizon's legal counsel was making during this decision, when the when the when the judges asked the legal counsel whether or not they plan to impose this 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 dual market structure. Um, the legal counsel said, of course, that's what we plan to move forward on. And what they're talking about is this idea that not in addition to charging end users to access their broadband services, they want to go to the other side of the market and look at the websites and services that are being used and also charge them to have access to their subscribers. So, for example, um, Comcast or Verizon could go Verizon could go to Google and say, hey, we have all of these broadband customers. Obviously, they want to use a search engine. If you pay this fee, we will give you front-of-line access to them. We will privilege your service. We'll make it faster. We'll make your search function better. And in uh, and, and that way, you know, you'll be able to consolidate even further control over the marketplace. Or they could go to Bing with the same argument and say, we'll, we'll put you in front of Google. I know you're trying to get market share. Give us money and we will decide how our millions of customers use search. Or and we could go to Netflix, but um, we're going to talk about that after we take a short break. You're listening to the Cyber Law and Business Report on Webmaster Radio. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. And a bitch. There are many things we would love to catch. Catching the final out of a baseball game. And that's the ball game. Reeling that big catch of the day. Or catching a ride home. Taxi! How about catching more attention, like the biggest retail brands on earth? Introducing Catchy.com, where they sell short brand and attractive.com domain names. Use a short and catchy brand, just like Sony, Visa, and Nike for your next business venture. You can even rent to own for as low as $100 a month. Catch a big break for your business with Catchy.com. Building better search engine rankings takes the right formula. Tracking those rankings is super simple. All you need is AuthorityLabs.com. Authority Labs uses automated daily rank tracking tools to monitor your site's performance or leverage their API to build your own tools. No matter what animal-labeled algorithms affect your ranking, you should be using Authority Labs. Unlimited users for no additional cost and white labeling can help keep your clients updated and save countless hours of creating reports. Whether you're running sites with just a few or millions of keywords, what you need is AuthorityLabs.com. Guys, are you suffering from FD, fulfillment dysfunction? Let MoldingBox.com's online portal system for inventory, tracking, and returns perform for you. We have the enormous tools you need for complete warehousing, shipping, and handling of all your packages, no matter the size or shape, directly to your customers. MoldingBox.com can also fulfill all your nourishing, nutraceutical, and smooth skincare product desires, including green coffee and Garcinia on demand. Plus, let our in-house printing and CD DVD manufacturing help you enlarge and maximize your coaching and business opportunity potential. We do everything. Fulfillment, shipping, tracking, inside and out, and all in one place. Moldingbox.com. It's shipping made sexy. Hi, this is Victor Pitts, host of Domain Masters, one of the longest-running radio shows on webmasterradio.fm. We'll show you how to utilize domains to drive traffic to your business, plus we'll discuss power tools of the trade for the power players of the industry. 
Domain Masters, on demand anytime inside the Internet Marketing Channel, only on webmasterradio.fm. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back, and um, we're talking to um, Timothy Carr about the decision in um, the D.C. Circuit on net neutrality. And it seems the one party coming out of that decision with a bullseye right between their eyes is Netflix. And they're saying that Netflix will either be the the first casualty or um, Netflix will be the hero that saves um, net neutrality. And um, partly because it looks like the ISPs want to force Netflix to pay basically what he said years ago, make them pay for their pipes. Yeah, and this is the this is the the classic dilemma that net neutrality uh, or lack of net neutrality poses. You you do have internet service providers who are providing access to high speed services, uh, but they are not simply internet service providers. Companies like Comcast and Verizon are also in the business of providing video service, cable television, uh, and the incentive for them would be to discriminate against competitors. And of course, one of the chief competitors out there is Netflix, which uses a, uses a high-speed Internet model in order to distribute its, its video products, if you will, to the end users. And so it is, it is within the, it's in the interest of the Internet service providers to try to degrade or in some way hamper Netflix or other video models. Netflix is not the only one out there. It's a very prominent one that a lot of people are familiar with, but there are a lot of startups as well that are trying to deliver video to consumers in interesting and innovative ways. Now, it is in the interest of the Internet service providers to not let those, those new models or Netflix succeed. And so what you have in the absence of net neutrality protections, you have a great incentive for your Internet service provider to start to manipulate content in a way that favors their products and services. Now, I don't think a lot of people would think that AT&T and Verizon and Comcast are the most innovative uh, presence and most innovative enti- entities on the internet, but this would give them the power to control innovation in a way that squelches a lot of the sort of startup energies, the startup ideas that have made the internet, the internet such a, a, a revolutionary force, certainly a revolutionary force in new business. So, so, uh, so the common carriage idea is very important to preserving that innovation because it takes them out of the business of trying to determine what content gets privilege over, over other content and puts them in, in the business, a business that they're very profitable at, at of just simply moving digital communications across their network. So, they, so they, uh, this, the, the Netflix issue is one I think that resonates with a lot of people, but it goes beyond that to this idea of you know, how do you protect innovation on a network where everybody, where you have this kind of level playing field where every idea can get on a network and, and, and access uh, users without a gatekeeper. Yeah, that's why it's the absurdity of the oppositions in net neutrality is the whole label of taking over the internet when in reality it's the opposite. 
and that the absence of net neutrality allows the takeover of the Internet by a few very powerful companies. Yeah, I mean, there, there, you'll hear a talking point coming out of the phone and cable lobby about this, this, is, this is government regulation of the Internet. What, but it's not that. What it is is regulation of Internet service providers. It's a, it, it regulates them in a way that allows uh, Internet users the freedom to connect and communicate without this sort of discrimination or blocking. And so there was a, the Verizon made this First Amendment argument in their case against the FCC. They said that essentially Verizon is like a newspaper, and right. that it should be protected. Or it's a, you know since since corporations are individuals, it should have First Amendment protections. It is like a newspaper and has the First Amendment right to edit the internet. And it now, has exercised I, that right. Yes, and I think you know that a lot of uh, followers of George Orwell out there would appreciate that argument because it does essentially give them the First Amendment right to censor, and uh, and so that is the crux of the argument that's before us. And and so um, and the other argument I hear is that the other savior could be that if there is any degradation of service for Netflix, which I you know, I think there is some evidence. That is already occurring, um, but if there is any degradation of service in, in terms of delivery of net, Netflix um, streaming, that um, the, the hero to come in would be Google Fiber or some other um, high-speed carrier. And at the same time, you have the carrier was reported today in Ars Technica that um, the ISPs have moved to block municipalities from entering high-speed broadband in 20 states already. Yeah, they, they're, they've been very active at the state level. Um, I also heard that the recent draft of the Farm Bill has, has somehow language was snuck into that that would prevent municipalities and communities from building their own broadband network. I mean, of, co of course, a solution uh, to the problem of net neutrality would be to have a marketplace where people can choose from you know, many, many internet service providers. And if right. one, you know, if you're Verizon, if Verizon decides that they're going to be blocking Netflix, you could just go to the, you know, if Google Fiber were an option or another option where they don't do that kind of blocking. But unfortunately, in the United States right now, people have at best two choices for broadband, two wired line choices. Usually it's a, the dominant local cable company Many of these cable companies have negotiated local monopolies with cities, um, and you also have a, a phone company. Increasingly, the phone companies, which had provided DSL, are, are getting out of the high-speed broadband business because they just can't compete with cable. A Verizon tried to build out a Fios fiber to the home option um, uh, across a lot of communities, especially here in the Northeast, but they decided that that was too expensive. So, so rather than having two choices, a lot of people only have one choice, and that's a dominant cable company. So um, in, in the absence of competition, we need some kind of regulatory structure to uh, protect choice on, online. And, and, and you know, the absence of competition is a problem, though. I mean, it's, it's affecting, you know, for example, our ability to compete and, and broadband speed and and to do things at a high speed level. Um, at the recent um, at the Davos conference, they've recently released the latest figures on broadband speed and um, and also in broadband penetration. And and we've fallen from one point being in the top ten to being in the the twenties and thirties behind countries like Estonia. 
Yeah, and it's important to look at the other models. It's important to look at uh, some of the Estonia and Latvia and uh, Scandinavian countries, some of the countries in in northern Asia that have succeeded in providing cheap, um, high-speed internet access to users. And and, and in many cases, uh, you'll find that they have this open access model or this common carriage model um, that has allowed for for these companies to just to focus on providing fast and fast and affordable internet service, and that's been successful. I mean, that not you can't really replicate one legal model you know, that, that works in South Korea, for right. example, and, and transpose it to the United States, which has a different, a different demographic breakdown, different income breakdown, different, different geography. Um, but in essence, you can see this kind of, you know, providing big, fast, open pipes to the end user, treating data as this plentiful resource is, uh, in the end, better for your economy, better, better for innovation in the marketplace uh, than this gatekeeper or payola model, which is now being uh, promoted by ISPs in the United States. Oh, definitely. And um, you know, it's interesting. There was a, a recent commentary on the, the level of speed by someone who actually had established you know, residency in, in both U.S. and in South Korea and just about the difference in the experience and how um, how quickly she was able to get online in South Korea. You know, there were, she had several providers she could choose from and, um, and then at the same time, um, you know, they all offered much higher speed at lower cost than what's offered in the U.S. And um, so... But then you know, he comes, she comes back to the U.S., and then it's um, one or two choices. And, of course, you know, please wait you know, for um, Hell to Freeze Over. We'll have someone over there and shortly after that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that whole customer service ethic that seems to permeate the, the cable industry. And, um, and she was just surprised that, that you know, Americans are, are tolerating that. And, and, and I, uh, I think there need, we need more economic analysis of that. Does, does provide fast, affordable, open Internet to as many people as possible, you know, how does that, on a, on a macroeconomic level, benefit a nation? Because I think, and you know, I, again, I haven't done the research, but I think you could you could easily make the case that uh, the economic future of the United States, in many ways, depends on our, upon our ability, uh, especially the ability of our service sector, to provide fast, cheap, affordable broadband. To everyone, and 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 equally, you know, important is making sure that 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 connection is open, so that you don't have these payola models uh, discriminating against startups and, and new ideas in the economy. I mean, and and that you know that if you look at our, our you know history post war, you know, we we invested in the infrastructure that to enable us to be competitive. You know, we reinvested in our highway system, we invested in our ports, and um, and even in you know. With the space industry, you know that's how a lot of the the, um, the computer software got it ramped up was through our investment in uh, space, and um, so it's just it's just it's astounding that we're just totally turning our back on this important sector and allowing ourselves to become you know kind of a um, you know, a wild card team. If, this, if, it, if they were having playoffs for broadband, you know, we would be the ones kind of on the bubble, waiting for the the last game of the season to see if we made the playoffs. 
Yeah, and I and I and I think importantly, we don't need to nationalize um, our broadband services. We don't need we don't need you know the government-run internet. What we do need is is a fairly simple regulatory legal framework that allows these companies to continue to profit, but prohibits them from impairing speech, from impairing innovation. And you know we've made the argument at Free Press that the easiest way to do that, the clearest path to doing that, is by reclassifying a broadband services and as common carriers, so to prevent this kind of payola model from taking over. And I guess you going back to that point, um, you know, and the, and the chairman um, Wheeler did say he wanted to wait. Oh, what the hell is that? <laughs> Not on my end. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> Why don't we just take a cut right there, and uh, I'll start asking the question. <laughs> um, the um, going going back to um, you, know, Chairman Wheeler, and um, the, the question of you know he's taking some time to think about what his steps should be, and and the, and the concept of you know, the ISPs saying you know possibly moving towards. The, um, the the two market solution. I mean, the, the problem is that once they start doing it, you know, will will there ever be political will to go back and reverse it? That is the problem, and there's been this slow sort of boiling of the frog. If you will. The ISPs are are slowly changing their business model, so this, this sort of discriminatory or pl- a pay-to-play model becomes more. Uh, more the industry norm, and it's, it will become increasingly difficult for the FCC to to hamper that business model once it's established. So Chairman Wheeler is at this critical juncture. He has before him you know, more than 20 years of legal history. You can go back to the 1996 Telecommunications Act, which really kind of puts forth his options, and uh, he has said that he is going to do something. He says that he that protecting the open internet is paramount, um, but it's unclear what that something is. Of course, we had you know having delivered a million letters to the chairman and in our work on the Hill and our work at the FCC and our work around the country have been encouraged him to do what might be considered politically um, challenging, at least in Washington. Um, and to reclassify broadband access services under common carriage. So we were talking about Chairman Wheeler and his decision, and you know him partly wanting to wait and see how the market responds. And part of my concern about that was he was was that he might want to see if the um, kind of the, the dual market situation takes hold. And my concern is that once that takes hold, there's no way you're ever going to reverse that. Yeah, I mean, once there's an established business model in the telecommunications sector, it becomes very, very difficult to reverse it, as you said. And, you know, um, you know I've said uh, before that this is a kind of a boiling of the frog by Internet service providers. They, they think by incrementally encroaching upon our rights to connect and communicate and imposing this new dual market structure and other new business models um, that they become even more uh, irreversible. Now, now, Chairman Wheeler said that he is committed to the open internet and that he is going to do something um, uh, and we've all, we've obviously encouraged him that the right thing to do uh, the, the thing that is 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 
that is mapped out very clearly in the Telecommunications Act and some subsequent court decisions is to is to reclassify broadband access as a common carrier. And, and if if Verizon or if Comcast uh, tries to sue the FCC uh, based on that legal authority, it is more than likely, given the legal precedent, that the FCC would win on this occasion. And um, and to just point out that the FCC is an independent body, so. Um, President Obama can't just tell him what to do, but he said he is confident that he will do the right thing. Um, yeah. Your... yeah, I mean, Obama, Obama uh, yes, it's clear. Obama has the power to appoint the chairman and, and, and commissioners, and, and the Congress approves them. And Congress also approves the budget for the FCC. So there are, there are these kind of ways that they indirectly control, and, and, and Obama made a statement earlier this month that he was a strong supporter of net neutrality and was confident that Tom Mueller would do the right thing. So, so they kind of sent these messages to the FCC. It's clear that the FCC needs to do something. Uh, and, and Wheeler has really inherited, I think, a, a big mess here. Uh, uh, and there, on the one hand, you have a very powerful political corporate lobby. On the other hand, you have a history, a legal history of the right thing to do, and you, and you have increasingly public support for preserving net neutrality, and it's up to him to make the right decision. And we're hoping that he is politically brave enough to go against uh, conventional wisdom to defy a very powerful corporate lobby and, and protect the interests of Internet users. Now, uh, uh, speaking of powerful lobbies, um, yesterday was the Day We Fight Back. It was organized by Free Press and a number of other organizations, and You've got 86,000-plus people to call the members of Congress and another um, nearly 200,000 to send emails? Yeah, no, we had a, a real interesting online uh, collaboration, hundreds of organizations, thousands of websites that were, were pasting information on their, their web pages about how they could take action. A lot of uh, tech companies, including Google and Facebook and others, and Twitter have gone out to their members and asked them to take part in calling on Congress to uh, to per, to stop the NSA, to stop the mass surveillance programs that we've heard so much about uh, since Edward Snowden, Snowden publicized a lot of the materials he had in June of last year, uh, and to to support what is called the USA Freedom Act, a bipartisan bill um, that would rein in a lot of the FCS, a lot of the NSA's. Uh, mass collection procedures, the sort of mass surveillance of met metadata, the aggregation of data. Is that the uh, Widen bill? Uh, it is a bill supported by Widen. It's called the USA Freedom Act. It also has uh, Jim Sensenbrenner's support. Uh, there is a version in the House and the Senate. And we're asking for people to support the USA Freedom Act. And this is where it gets a little complicated because there's another bill that was introduced by Senator Dianne Feinstein in California that's called the FISA Improvements Act, which actually codifies this mass collection. It'll, it actually makes it legal. There's a lot of question whether this is legal or not for, for the NSA to collect metadata. So, so uh, we've had you know, uh, nearly 100,000 people call Congress, um, and, and we've had them support the USA Freedom Act. And we've also asked them to say, you know, we should not support the FISA Amendments Act. And I think what, what's interesting here is like this is a similar set of tactics in a lot of the same groups that were active two years ago opposing a bill, the, people remember the SOPA bill uh, 
right. um, the bill on copyright protection. How does it compare in terms of level of response? Well, it's a it's a different ask. In that instance, it, they, we were asking people to to kill a bill. Now we're asking people to pass a bill. In Washington, right. there's a much higher bar to actually pass legislation. So it wasn't as large in scale, but I think it was very impressive. I mean, if we're always sort of using the SOPA, uh, the SOPA uh, protest, which involved more than 15 million people as the benchmark for success, I think it would be hard for anything to succeed. Right. I think it, this was wildly successful um, like by holding, a, a number of other measures. It's like holding Doug Flutie to this Hail Mary pass, expecting all everyone like that. There only exactly. are a few seconds left, but um, so if people can, people still get on the bandwagon on that. If, if so, where should they go? Uh, you, they can go to the, the daywefightback.org, or they can there's a there's a there's a, another coalition that's at stopwatching.us, which has been leading the fight since June 6th, the day after Edward Snowden's revelations were made public. And if people want to um, join your fight on net neutrality, um, how can they do that, and how can they find out more about you? We um, we have uh, a lot of resources at our website, which is freepress.net. We also have a coalition website that's at savetheinternet.com. There's a lot of information about the issue and, and how you can get involved. All right. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure having you, and um, and I want to appreciate your support, and especially Matt Wood having joining us in the past on this. We really appreciate it. So um, best of luck to you, and um, I'm sure we'll be in touch. Thanks again. Thank you. And we'll be back after these messages. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Are your online conversions still lagging behind your competitors? Then it's time to master your skills in website conversion optimization. Sign up for Conversion Conference San Francisco, March 17th through the 19th. Brasco from WebmasterRadio.fm here inviting you to the biggest ever conversion conference in San Francisco. It's the only digital marketing conference that's entirely focused on getting more web visitors through your conversion funnel. Join your colleagues and learn from leading conversion experts like Tim Ash. Brian Eisenberg, and Bart Schutz. Bring your entire team and see what difference these three days with the world's best conversion optimizers can do to your revenue and bottom line. Come to Conversion Conference, where top companies get ideas and strategies for more effective websites and online campaigns. WebmasterRadio.fm listeners get a $150 discount on their pass. Simply register online at ConversionConference.com with promo code WMFM or click on the Conversion Conference logo on the WebmasterRadio.fm website. Why do over 15,000 small businesses love working with Infusionsoft? Because we believe in people and their dreams. We empower entrepreneurs and our groundbreaking tools help small businesses grow and thrive. We listen, we care, we serve our customers, and we do what we say we'll do. We're always trying to find new ways to innovate and to improve our all-in-one sales and marketing platform. Most of all, from email to e-commerce, we help small businesses like yours succeed. Go to Infusionsoft.com radio to watch a free product demo. That's Infusionsoft.com radio. Oh, yeah. My day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use CertifiedKnowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. 
Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. Mobilizing your marketing efforts. Welcome to Mobile Presence. Discover the best practices for tracking and targeting mobile marketing. Mobile Presence on demand anytime inside the Internet Marketing Channel. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Um, I want to thank Tim for um, taking the time to talk with us. This is a very important issue. And the political aspect of it is really what's going to be driving it. This isn't really about the legality of net neutrality. It's actually about the political will for net neutrality. And, um, and that's very important. And uh, I think what they, what they achieved yesterday in terms of um, a, a day of um, fighting back, the day we fight back, is, is part of that. It's a part of saying you know, we, um, we will claim our rights. And this is about claiming our Internet, and, um, which is very important. Um, so definitely if, you're, this, if this issue matters to you and if you care about the Internet, it should matter to you. Um, you want to you want to definitely get involved and monitor. You want to let your congressmen and states and senators know um, that this is important to you. Because if you don't, then the um, the inside interest will will win every time. So um, this is an issue that if it's done through the grassroots, there is hope of winning. Um, so we do have some news updates to share with you, and one of them. Um, First of all, today in history, um, today is the uh, Lincoln's birthday, and it's a, which traditionally had been a holiday, but they combined it with President's Day um, since we used to celebrate. For some of you probably don't remember, but we used to celebrate um, Lincoln's birthday as well as Washington's birthday, both in, in February, and so they combined it into President's Day. Um, but today is also the hundredth anniversary of laying the cornerstone of the Lincoln Lincoln Memorial in Washington D.C. And if you've never been to Washington, and, and the Lincoln Memorial is really an amazing um, memorial. It's a, um, it is a monumental, you know, monument in the in every sense of the word. It, it's it's grandiose. Um, it anchors the the Great Mall. Um, it, so Lincoln looks directly at the Capitol, um, some many blocks down the street, and um, and it really is a, a majestic. Uh, tribute to a great president and um i recommend anyone who's never been to washington to go and go at night um it's a very beautiful setting and you're right near, nearby is the vietnam memorial which um particularly in the winter months um is a very good time to visit it because before spring has come in and the leaves have filled in um you get a very good reflection of the of all the capital and the other monuments on the walls of the Lincoln Memorial, um, excuse me, on the Vietnam Memorial just below it. But um, so today, 100 years ago, they laid the cornerstone, the very first stone um, for the Lincoln Memorial and um, on his birthday. And uh, 
But today is another significant birthday, a Medal of Freedom winner. It is the 80th birthday of Bill Russell. Um, Bill Russell is the winningest um, professional athlete in North America, save only for Maurice Richard with the Montreal Canadiens. The two of them have this distinction of being the, um, the only North Americans to have been on 11 championship teams as players. And um, under Russell, um, he revolutionized basketball. Um, he was a defensive genius and, um, and a, a masterful team player. And uh, he battled Walt Chamberlain time and time again. And um, I think he only lost one series to, to Chamberlain. And um, he has a record of playing in 11 deciding games in the playoffs and having won every one. Um, and, and he has records that stand to this day. Um, he actually has the NBA Finals record. Um, for rebounds, and in one game seven against the Lakers, he got 16 rebounds in a quarter, which is a record that sits to this day. Um, so he was just a, a, a outstanding player. He was the first African American coach in any professional sports league in America. Um, after Red Orbach stepped down, he took over the Celtics for the for and won two championships. His, his last three years as a player whereas player coach for the Celtics and two of those three years he took him to the championship. Um, he also later coached the Seattle Supersonics who were then a relatively new franchise. So um, and recently um, President Obama honored him with a Medal of Freedom um, um, ceremony and, uh, and this year, just last year I should say, um, Boston honored him with a, a, a statue in his honor. So happy 80th birthday to um, Bill Russell, an American legend. Also, we want to say um, farewell to another um, legend, and that is to um, Shirley Temple Black, a uh, Santa Monica native who passed away um, yesterday. And uh, she not only was an amazing film star, but she actually um, served as an ambassador to the UN and, um, and also in several other foreign posts. So um, she will be missed. Um, in other news developments, though, we have some of you may remember Delphine Haglin from Reporters Sans Frontiers, and they have come out with their World Press Freedom Index. And um, maybe we'll get a chance to talk to Delphine maybe next week or a week after. And um, it's the annual index that rates um, every um, measures the level of freedom of information in 180 countries. And there have been some significant changes. One of which is that the United States has dropped considerably. We dropped 13 positions um, to somewhere, I believe, in the neighborhood of 33. And um, not necessarily a very good development, but largely in response to um, what has been going on in the surveillance area. And um, I'll see if I can pull up their excerpt. But um, we probably will have um, Delphine on to explain this some more. But you may want to check it out. It's at... um, Reporters um, Without Borders, and it's the World Press Freedom Index. I, I'll post it on our blog at um, cyberlawradio.wordpress. And um, otherwise, we look forward to seeing you next week. Be sure to download our mobile app, and that's available um, both in Android and in the Apple um, store. So um, definitely download us and take us with you. 
Um, we have some interesting and important issues coming up with the NSA. Um, privacy is in focus. There's going to be some state legislative developments over the next couple of weeks. So please stay in touch, and um, you definitely want to keep up to date. Um, it's going to be an interesting year. There's going to be a lot of action, I believe, at the state levels. So um, we'll be keeping you up to date. So this is the place to tune in, plug in, and find out what's going on in Internet law um, from a, a practicing Internet lawyer. So um, quarters adjourned. Please join us next week on another edition of Cyber Law and Business Report here from sunny California. And um, I wish all of you well as you endure the ice storm. And um, so download our mobile app and get a blanket, sit by a fire, and you can listen to us anytime. So thanks again um, to our guest, and we look forward to talking to you next week here on Cyberlaw Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. Thank you. This has been a presentation of webmasterradio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.webmasterradio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.